Merry Christmas and welcome to our weekly podcast. Back in the late 1500s, there was a song that was written called Greensleeves. You might be familiar with the tune. Now, tradition says a man by the name of Henry VIII composed the original music, but we don't really know for sure. It wasn't until 1865 that William Chatterton Dix wrote a Christmas carol that went along with the music of Greensleeves, and the title of his song is called What Child Is This? You've probably heard this song because it's a popular carol that a lot of people sing around the holidays. William Chatterton Dix wrote the words to this carol with the idea in mind that people would walk by a nativity scene or walk by a manger and wonder, who is this child? And what child is this? I think the lyrics of the carol do a really good job of summarizing the gospel. Now, the modern lyrics go like this. What child is this who laid to rest on Mary's lap is sleeping, whom angels greet with anthems sweet while shepherds watch are keeping? This, this is Christ the King, whom shepherds guard and angels sing. Haste, haste to bring him praise, the babe, the son of Mary. So bring him incense, gold, and myrrh. Come, peasant king, to own him. The king of kings salvation brings. Let loving hearts enthrone him. Raise, raise a song on high. The virgin sings her lullaby. Joy, joy, for Christ is born, the babe, the son of Mary. Nails, spears shall pierce him through. The cross he bore for me, for you. Hail, hail, the word made flesh, the babe, the son of Mary. Who is Jesus? And what child is this? I don't know that many people walk past a nativity scene or a manger and ask this question anymore. But it really is the question or the debate of the ages. Ever since Jesus came, people have asked this question. Every person listening to the podcast today has asked this question at some point or another in your life. Who is Jesus? Back in July of 2019, John Caldwell, who pastored Kingsway Christian Church in Avon, Indiana for 36 years, he wrote about this question in a Christian Standard article. And he wrote, the answer to this question is more important than anything else. And friends, I'd have to agree with John. We know that Jesus raised the same question with his disciples. Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 through 16, a passage that we've become very familiar with, says, when Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? Well, they replied, Some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say Jeremiah or one of the other prophets. And then he asked them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Asking the question, What do Americans believe about Jesus? Uh, the Barna Group, which is a Christian organization, they reported that there are five popular beliefs that people in America tend to have. 92% of Americans believe that Jesus was a real person. Now, I think that's good. But only 56% of Americans believe in the divinity of Jesus, meaning that Jesus is God. Now, only 48% of millennials believe in the divinity of Jesus. 52% of Americans reportedly believe that while Jesus was a real person and lived on earth, he was not sinless. So a lot of people believe that he was no different than anyone else. Around 6 in 10 Americans say they've made some sort of commitment to Jesus and still value that commitment today. 
While two-thirds of Americans uh, who've made some sort of commitment to Jesus believe they'll go to heaven after they die, many people believe that salvation is somehow tied to our works, that it's somehow tied to uh, whether someone is a good person or not. You read articles like the one John Caldwell wrote for the Christian Standard, or the research that the Barna Group puts together, and a lot of people ask the question, does it even matter what we believe about Jesus? Well, friends, I believe the answer is absolutely yes. This is the most important question that we will answer in this life. Who is Jesus? This question sets the basis for what or who is the ultimate source of authority in our lives. It also sets the basis for how we live our lives and what we believe about God, what we believe about self, and what we believe about eternity. Well, thankfully, the Old Testament prophet Isaiah answers this question for us, and he does so with clarity. Over 700 years before the birth of Jesus, Isaiah let the nation of Judah and anyone else who would read his book know who the Messiah would be. Isaiah chapter 9 verse 6 is the key verse for our Christmas series this year. This verse says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. So this is who Jesus is. Jesus will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. Now remember, Isaiah lived and spoke for God over 700 years before Jesus was born. He lived and spoke for God during some of the darkest and most difficult times in the history of God's people. This was a time of gloom and distress. These are the words the Bible uses. We know the ten northern tribes of Israel had been exiled and enslaved by the Assyrians who lived in the north. Uh, This is modern-day Syria, parts of Turkey and northern Iraq. These ten tribes are called the lost tribes of Israel because they were lost to history, never to be heard from again. The two remaining tribes, Judah and Benjamin, uh, were exiled by the Babylonians about 150 years later, but they were eventually returned. During a time of gloom and distress, a time of darkness and political unrest, Isaiah wrote about how the people walking in darkness have seen a great light. On those living in the land of the shadow of death, a light has dawned. The Messiah that Isaiah wrote about would come from an area known as Galilee of the Nations or Galilee of the Gentiles. And this was the region of Israel between the Sea of Galilee and the Mediterranean Sea. This is significant because this is where Jesus was from. Isaiah and all of the other Old Testament prophets wrote about how a Messiah would come, a Messiah who would rescue God's people, Israel, and who would extend his rescue and rule to all people, including the Gentiles, which is all of us. Last week, I shared about how Isaiah chapters 7 through 12 specifically talk about the coming of the Messiah. These are chapters of hope for God's people. I'd like to share three familiar verses from these chapters that highlight different truths about the Messiah. These are verses that we read and hear every year around Christmas. The first one comes from Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14. Isaiah wrote, Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel. And we know this name, Emmanuel, means God with us. So in this verse, Isaiah concentrates on the birth of the Messiah. And then Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, the key verse for our series, Isaiah wrote, For to us a child is born, 
To us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. In this verse, Isaiah concentrates on the character of the Messiah. These are descriptions of who the Messiah would be. And then we'll jump to Isaiah chapter 11. It's really the entire chapter, but we're going to look at verses 1 through 4. Isaiah wrote that a shoot would come up from the stump of Jesse. And we know the stump of Jesse refers to the family line of Jesus. Uh, Jesse was the father of King David, and Jesus came from David's line. And then he goes on to say, from his roots, a branch will bear fruit. And this branch represents Jesus, and the fruit represents the followers of Jesus, all of God's people. And then verse 2 says, The Spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the Spirit of wisdom and of understanding, the Spirit of counsel and of might, the Spirit of the knowledge and fear of the Lord. And he will delight in the fear of the Lord. He will not judge by what he sees with his eyes or decide by what he hears with his ears, but with righteousness he will judge the needy. With justice he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. If we were to continue reading, we'd see how Isaiah concentrates on the kingdom of the Messiah. He does this throughout chapter 11. So Isaiah 7.14 concentrates on the birth of the Messiah. Isaiah 9.6 concentrates on his character. And then Isaiah 11 verse 1 and following concentrates on the kingdom of the Messiah. All of these verses are commonly read. We hear these every year around Christmas. These are verses that focus on the different aspects of the Messiah, who the Messiah is. While Isaiah spoke about the birth, character, and kingdom of the Messiah, it's not until we get to the New Testament that we learn how Jesus is, in fact, the Messiah. I love that all four gospel writers, Matthew, Mark, Luke, which is the gospel that we're reading for Advent, and then John, All four gospel writers make it clear that Jesus is the Messiah. Matthew begins his gospel with these words. He says, This is a record of the ancestors of Jesus, the Messiah, a descendant of David and of Abraham. And he goes on to give a detailed genealogy of Jesus' family line that goes all the way back to Abraham. Mark begins his gospel with these words. This is the good news about Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God. And then he goes on to write about how things have happened just as the prophet Isaiah said. Giving us an accurate account of the birth, life, death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Luke wrote these words in the first chapter of his gospel. He wrote, But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary. You have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. His kingdom will never end. I pointed out last week how it sounds like Luke was quoting Isaiah when he wrote these words. And then we get to John. I love John's gospel. I believe he gives us the clearest example of how Jesus is the Messiah. In the first five verses, he wrote these words. In the beginning, the word already existed. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. He existed in the beginning with God. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness can never extinguish it. 
And then in verse 14, John wrote, So the word became human, or the word became flesh, and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we've seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Friends, it's so clear that the word that John wrote about is in fact Jesus, our Messiah. Last week, we kicked off our Christmas series by talking about how Jesus is our wonderful counselor. The Hebrew word for wonderful means uncommon, uniquely special, or miraculous. So the Messiah would be wonderful in the Hebrew sense of the word. The Hebrew word for counselor refers to a king who gives wise counsel to his people, a king who goes before his people, leading them into better days. This is who Jesus is as our wonderful counselor. He's a strategist. You know, before God created the heavens and the earth, he had a plan in place, a plan to send his one and only son. He had a strategy to help us win the battle against sin, Satan, and death. So Jesus is our wonderful counselor. The second description or characteristic of Jesus that Isaiah wrote about is how he is our mighty God. And like the first description, this one also comes from two Hebrew words. First, the Hebrew word for God is the word El. And when you hear words like Emmanuel, which means God with us, El is the word that's used for God. Isaiah was writing about how the Messiah, Jesus, is our mighty God. The word El is the most ancient word or term that's used for God, used over 160 times throughout the Old Testament. This word always refers to the one true God. It also refers to the Godhead, the Trinity, a God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. The Hebrew word for mighty is the word Gabor, Gabor. And this word means strength. It means power or hero. Now, putting these two words together, Isaiah was making a bold truth claim. He was writing about how the Messiah would be called Hero God. And more than any other description of Jesus that Isaiah wrote about, this is the one that I think we'll have the hardest time understanding. And the reason for this is because we live in a world full of so-called heroes. Every generation that's represented in our church, every generation listening into the podcast today, has grown up with hero figures being portrayed in comic books, TV shows, and movies. It was DC Comics who introduced the very first superhero in a comic book back in June of 1938. And this superhero was Superman. We've all grown up with these hero figures who've shaped the way we think about what it means to be a hero. Uh, My favorite superhero is Spider-Man. I've always loved the story of how Peter Parker became Spider-Man, and I'm sure you have a favorite superhero as well. We also refer to people who work in certain professions as heroes. I'm not saying that we shouldn't do this, but we refer to firemen, police officers, those who are in the military, and our first responders as heroes. Now, these people give their lives in service to others and in a lot of ways give us a tangible example of what real love is. But we need to understand that when we attribute words to other people that are meant to be reserved for God, we end up watering down the meaning of the word and it completely changes our view of who God really is. In a world where heroes are often determined by athletic ability, financial status, or raw talent, Isaiah reminds us that the only one who's truly worthy of being called hero is the one whose might is unparalleled. So, how is Jesus our mighty God? How is he our hero God? And why is this so important for our lives today? 
While it's important to learn about and appreciate the biblical evidence that highlights the truth that Jesus is our mighty God, we also need to allow God to move these truths from our head to our heart. This truth is more than mere theological data that we sit around and talk about with our friends. It's a truth that should cause us to respond and live for Jesus because he is our mighty God. He is our hero God. So how is Jesus our mighty God and why is this important? Well, number one, if you're taking notes, as our mighty God, Jesus is the source of our power. He's the source of our power. We read about this in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Jesus had been raised from death. He'd spent 40 days with his disciples and many of his followers. And he was about to ascend to heaven. And this is what he says. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere, in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So friends, we've been invited to participate in God's mission of reaching the lost and discipling people as they grow in their faith, as they grow in their walk with Christ. But we can't do this on our own. We can't do this in our own power. As our mighty God, Jesus, through the Holy Spirit, gives us courage. He gives us boldness, confidence. He gives us God's wisdom. He gives us the ability that we need and authority to share the good news with others. As disciples who are commissioned to make more and better disciples, we need all of these things if we're going to be effective in our witness for Jesus. As our mighty God, Jesus helps us to live holy lives, lives that are set apart for him in an impure world. And while we're saved by God's grace through faith in Jesus, how we live for Jesus will be evidence to the rest of the world that what God has done for us, he can do for them. As our mighty God, Jesus is the source of our power. He gives us what we need to live the life that God has called us to live. Number two, as our mighty God, Jesus is the source of our strength. So he's the source of our power, but he's also the source of our strength. Writing to Christians in Philippi, and keep in mind, writing from a Roman jail cell, the Apostle Paul wrote these words in Philippians 4.13. He wrote, for I can do everything, or I can do all things, through Christ, who gives me strength. Paul couldn't do the things that God wanted him to do on his own, and he recognized that. He understood that the strength that he would need to get through the storms of life, the strength that he would need to remain faithful to God, the strength that he would need to finish the race well, could only come from Jesus. Jesus' strength in Paul was sufficient in helping him face whatever trials and challenges came his way. And Jesus' strength in us is sufficient as well. As our mighty God, Jesus gives us the strength that we need to face the temptations, trials, and troubles that come our way. In Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, this is my wife's favorite verse. Paul wrote these words, My old self has been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but listen to this, but Christ lives in me. And then he goes on to say, So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Friends, if you know Jesus, this is true of your life as well. Like Paul, your strength comes from Jesus. Number three, as our mighty God, Jesus secures our eternity. He secures our eternity. Uh, the apostle Peter wrote about this in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 5. This is what he wrote. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, 
In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. If you need some encouragement today, this passage is it. The truths that Peter wrote about in this text offer hope and joy for the Christian, especially when times are tough. This hope and this joy that we have isn't based on worldly circumstances. Our hope and joy are based on who God is and what he's done for us through Christ. But this living hope isn't just for the future. It's also for today. As our mighty God, Jesus secures our eternity. And that's amazing. We should have hope in that. But he also gives us the joy and the hope that we need to live for him today. Regardless of the trials and challenges that you go through, nothing can overcome God's power to keep you secure in Christ. As our mighty God, Jesus provides this great assurance that we are secure in him. This isn't because of who we are or because of anything we can do. It's because of who Jesus is, because of what he's done on our behalf. I'm not sure how much of this God revealed to Isaiah when he wrote about how the Messiah would be our mighty God. But today, having the ability to read all of God's word, Old Testament and New, we can be reminded that as our mighty God, Jesus is the source of our power. Jesus is the source of our strength, and he secures our eternity. And these truths only scratch the surface on what it means for Jesus to be our mighty God, for Jesus to be our hero God. But I think they give us a small picture of who Jesus is. I want to end the message by sharing a story that I heard this past week. There was a Sunday school teacher who told the kids in her class that they were going to have the opportunity to reenact the Christmas story. And not only that, but they were going to be able to pick which character they wanted to portray. So she told the kids to raise their hand and they could yell out which character they wanted to be. And, you know, almost all the hands went up. One kid said, I want to be Joseph. Uh, One of the girls said, I want to be Mary. Uh, A group of kids wanted to be the wise men or the magi. Some of the kids wanted to be the animals they thought were present at the birth of Jesus. Um, One kid didn't raise his hand, and he was the quiet kid in class. I think most classrooms have one or two kids that are pretty shy. And she asked him what he wanted to be. And he said, well, I I think I'd like to be the doctor who delivered the baby. The teacher was silent for a moment because she couldn't remember there being a doctor in the Christmas story. She thought about it for a moment, though, and decided, you know what, I'll let you be the doctor. So you can be the doctor as we reenact this story. They started reenacting the story, and once they got to the point where Mary and Joseph were ready to have the baby, uh, the doctor went with them. They all went behind a bell of hay, and a minute went by, and the doctor came out holding a, a toy baby, and he held it up, and he paused almost like he couldn't think of the word to say. And instead of saying, it's a boy, he shouted out, it's a God. (laughs) And the whole class started laughing. All the parents started laughing. And I think there's a good point there. You know, it's not a God. It is God. Jesus is our mighty God. And today, that's what we celebrate. That's who we worship. That's why we gather every Sunday That's who we live our life for. Jesus is our mighty God.